ones who start to mold a new reality closer to the heart, closer to the heart. All right. Yeah, there we go. Sorry about the uh, the delay. We're having some sound problems here. Let me add everybody to the stage. Welcome to the Situation Report for, uh, it's already February 21st. Imagine that, another day in paradise. So uh, bear with us. Uh, I've been having some, uh, some technical issues trying to get the stage set up, trying to get uh, everything working right. 
But uh, welcome, Colonel Johnson. Welcome, Matt Brecken. Good to have you guys back. It's been a busy week <laughs> and lots to talk about. So there was, uh, we'll start off with, there was a uh, conversation and a hidden camera video by uh, O'Keefe Media Group, and it was of an IRS agent. And I've talked about this for a while, but uh, now it seems like it's actually coming full circle. And one of the things that I talked about last year, uh, I'm going to say back in February and March, is that the IRS will be weaponized against individual citizens. And this, again, right out of, right out of the playbook that's outlined in Pawns in the Game, it's outlined, and I think, Matt, you've talked about this several times in a couple of your books, the IRS being weaponized against citizens to seize property, and it's looking like that's coming to fruition. I don't know if you guys saw that today, but I, I saw it just a few minutes ago. Can you guys hear me okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm here. Got you loud and clear. Awesome. Go yeah. ahead, Matt. I mean, the 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 decision against Trump was just like you know, firing a giant firework right into your uh, into your house. Like, get your attention. We'll we'll just take you out. That was that was like for the peasants. It was like a signal. We'll just take you out. So we are we are in a uh, death match now, because. Yeah, the, the the facsimile of our freedom is, will we have a fair election? Have we had one for the last how many years? Um, will they just, you know, go to the knock the table over and and, uh, you know, go for the go for the brawl? Because I don't th see how they can possibly let Trump win, even if it was 80 to 20. They would rather have a pandemic and a war together because these weapons that they're that they've now arrayed will be turned around against them, or at least they fear that they would. My my fear is that the the Rhino Republicans would go back to the Mar Marquis de Queensbury rules and say, you know, don't lower ourselves to their to their level, you know, and, and then get beat again. But they, from their point of view, because everybody projects their own values, from their point of view, if if the if the Republicans get the kind of power we're we're wielding, we're screwed. We're going to die in a supermax, and they'll do anything to prevent that. So yeah, they're from from Trump from 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 you know seizing Trump Tower. I mean, is Letitia James going to send the NYPD, the New York State Police? Or are they going to? Like put yellow crime tape around it and say all Trumps get out. It looks like what's to stop them, and and the larger message is all you MAGA Americans, we don't care. We'll just come after you. We'll we'll yeah. find that you didn't pay a parking ticket thirty years ago, and, and if we can't the, find it, we'll make it up. And that's the thing that most people don't understand about the IRS and why this is so insidious. It's not just that they've been weaponized against small business, against gun businesses, and now against average Americans. You have to look at the power that they wield. You, and there's a lot of people saying across the internet, we should stop paying taxes. That's well, true. In mass, that would work. But onesies, twosies, they just garnish your assets, seize your bank accounts, and they're completely outside the law. They have their own legal system. They have their own courts. They have their own law enforcement. 
They are completely outside of the government system. There is no checks and balances for the IRS apparatus the way it is. So if you if you want to get and get to the point where you can take the IRS on, you are seriously going to have to array everybody that you possibly can against the IRS in order for that to work. And I don't see a way for it to work um, without mass noncompliance. And there's just, let's just face it. The short answer here is there's not enough people that aren't rule followers that would go along with it. And as much as I want to say we should all stop paying taxes and boycott it, the, the IRS, the only way that's going to work is if the entire country does it. The only way short of that is for the entire country to go full stop, like this this supposed trucker strike against, against New York. I don't know how effective that's going to be because I don't know how many of them are actually doing it. Yeah, the, the truck the trucker strike is like a is like a phase one out of like phase ten. Yeah. Um, I I see places like Canada, obviously many countries in Europe, but Canada being our neighbor, that's a beta test. When you talk about the trucker strike, they went right to their bank accounts. Absolutely. And and put people into jail in jail for like completely made up crimes. So the trucker strike is interesting because instead of like we're going to go to Wall Street and park trucks all over the place, which is sort of like the trucker analogy to J6, we're going to walk into the Capitol, right? The trucker strike is of, of food for New York is you're going to be, you're, you're, we're not going into New York with food. And I don't know how much, you know, other truckers will say, hey, they're going to pay me double. So I need to pay the, I need to pay my bills. So I'll go into New York for double. So that's phase one, the friction of a voluntary uh, trucker strike versus New York in retaliation for what, what, when I say what they're doing to Trump, they're doing to Trump as a signal to all of us that this is a dictatorship. And the truckers signal will be, and, and it's, it's very un, you know, ambiguous and in tote right now, but it's, it's that, well, try living without our food from outside of New York. But the next stage, plural stages, will be truckers that are violating a, a um, boycott embargo of New York. Those tires cost like 600 bucks a piece. Yeah. And you've got to go up that slow grade and around the uh, clover leaf. And you're not, you're going to get tired of buying new tires. I mean, that's, uh, that's, this is, this is sometimes things are called something like subtle sabotage or like very low grade, low level um, guerrilla warfare. But as this gets tighter and tighter, you know, right now it's just, they're going after Trump and the truckers are saying, some truckers are saying, let's not take food to New York. But as that gets, as these ratchets get tighter and tighter, people are going to say, now they're like seizing my truck. Now they're seizing my business. So you truckers that are going to feed the, the Nazis, the, you know, feed the Stasi are now fair game. And not just, not just, you know, the truckers and the logistics, but the police that are going to go with the IRS. So the IRS don't have like thousands of SWAT team guys. 
the IRS is going to seize your, your business with local police. Well, the local police live with the local people. And the local police eventually are going to find out the local people are going to say, you have to choose, you know, which side are you on? And I don't think we're that far away, Matt. I think when people get their tax bill for this year and realize that they're taxed over 50% and that they have a massive tax bill, whereas they've not been paying or getting refunds, I think you're going to see a and, and they're giving the and they're giving ten thousand dollar debit cards to any illegal or anybody anybody just they're just they're just approving ten thousand dollar debit cards to be given out to anybody. Well, we're going to get to that too because that's the next to the next topic. Colonel Conrad, it is good to see you. Thanks for joining tonight. I appreciate you jumping on. I'm happy to be here. Happy to be here. We are we are discussing the uh, and and as usual we are discussing the situation with the IRS and the. Uh, the O'Keefe Media Group um, hidden camera with the IRS agent talking about how big the uh, you know how big assholes the IRS are and the the agents are. So um, I my my premise is that about a year ago, you know this because you and I have had this conversation, is that we we knew that they were going to weaponize the IRS. I thought originally they were when they were talking about defunding the, the FBI. I was like, all those FBI agents are going to go to the IRS. What a perfect way to set up the IRS with thugs is move the FBI over to the IRS and defund the FBI because it's completely outside the law. Um, but they are they're weaponized. They've weaponized the IRS. They've weaponized the FDA, et cetera, et cetera. Well, they so, did that with Twitter with FBI agents, too, didn't they? Twitter, uh, Facebook, yeah. Instagram. They're, they're still there. They're still there. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and it's a, and we, that's the other thing is Mike Beck talked about the apparatus for censorship. And now he's talking about they're creating middleware to, to commercialize censorship, which is unbelievable. But it, it shows you how much they think they're empowered and how invincible they think they are, which I think is the furthest thing from the truth. They're well, trying to give off the persona that they're invincible, but the reality is they don't have the numbers to overwhelm the country. Just momentarily, going back to Trump and this and the you know four hundred dollar fine. So if you put up ten percent, they've just nailed you for forty million. Let's just say you could get a bond. They've nailed you, nailed you for forty million that you can never get back, no matter how the appeal works. This is a bill of attainder. It's right in the Constitution. It should not go to an appeal court at the New York or Supreme Court level. Justice Roberts already a week ago should have been calling all nine together and saying, folks, we have to stop this or this country's through. You don't, some things are like so egregious. What if a, what if a, 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 a judge said, we're rounding up the Catholics and putting them into a camp. They're going to try that. Would the Catholics, but would the Catholics have to, you know, get, get a, um, uh, uh, state legal standing and a suit and, if they started rounding up Catholics and putting them in camps, Justice Roberts at that point should just say, hey, nine of us, we have to just come out preemptively. Yeah, Otherwise, the, with, the Supreme Court has no meaning. The problem with that assumption, Matt, is that you're assuming that the Supreme Court's not compromised and they've already proven. What, but that, but that what I'm are. saying is they are compromised because they're not doing it. Agree. Yeah, we're saying the same thing. And I, my question is, and, and this is a question that uh, I got from the audience over the last the last couple hours, is 
How do you see this developing with the IRS? Who do you see them going after first? And how do you see them advertising that? Because you know this will be a mainstream. Steve, I, I was going to just jump in and say, it's interesting you brought up New York. I was literally just, just over there, not in the city, but uh, not terribly far outside the city at a, at a doctor's office. And uh, first thing he brought up was uh, the trucker strike. And and then he very cheer I didn't know where he stood on things, but he very cheerfully added, you know, they, they shot down, um, what's his name, up in Canada, Trudeau. And uh, I'm not sure if it was the Supreme Court or who it was that said that when they had seized assets of the truckers and things like that, that they, they couldn't legally do that. And they had to give that stuff back, which which kind of begs the question, well, who rendered that decision up in Canada? And at least, well, at least those guys weren't completely compromised. Well, let me ask you a question. Do you know anybody who's asked, had assets seized by the police or the FBI that ever got that shit back? <laughs> I don't know one fucking person that got anything back from the FBI or from police. Exactly. Once they seize your stuff, it's gone. Yeah, pretty much. So that ruling in and of itself sounds and briefs well, but it means nothing to the people on the ground because there's no... It, it, it's like any other ruling, right? There's no time limit associated with it. And they may take an inventory when they're taking your stuff out of the house, but that stuff always magically disappears once it gets to the police station. Or, or, the, AT, or the ATF throws your guns across the parking lot a hundred times. Well, is that yeah. I, I, as far as the truckers are concerned, I'm not sure if that was a situation where they had assets frozen or whether they were actually seized, which seems to be a bit different, but uh, well, I don't know the answer to that. In in terms of Canada, um, like a month ago, Jordan Peterson, everybody was lining up for this will be a slam dunk Supreme Court of Canada saying that no, the, the uh, Newspeak uh, 1984 Council can't demand that Jordan Peterson go to re-education camp to keep his license. And the Supreme Court upheld the lower court and said, and they yes, voted against Peterson, it. You Absolutely have to go to re-education. So, so you can't you can't look at the Supreme Court of Canada and just say, "Wow, they just shifted to the more, uh, uh, you know, uh, real conservative side." No, I'm I'm not saying that at all. I I just thought it was an interesting decision on their part. But they could turn around just like with Jordan Peterson. They can turn around the next day and say, "You have to go to re-education camp or lose your job." Yeah. Well. Like Steve Which said, all amazing. these guys are compromised. Yeah, the the the, the Mike Benz uh, podcast with Tucker Carlson, I think, was was seminal. It was like a, a watershed podcast as it, it lays it out. And the guy is using no notes. The guy just lays it out. They have they have well, perfected all a revolution against our enemies, quote unquote. Right? They can create a country from nothing called Ukraine into a money laundering operation and and then uh, use the same tactics in many other countries and then bring them home and use them against Trump, use them against us, censoring us yeah. based on national security. And and Steve, in the email earlier today, you said, like, what, where do we go from here? Like, you know, what's our what's the next step after this? What's I think that we're going to see total censorship. They're going to there's going to be some kind of a Tonkin Gulf uh, false flag, 9/11, uh, 
and they're going to say, we just can't risk all these lunatics just saying whatever the hell they want on the internet. There'll be a crackdown on free speech. And those of us in this kind of a group will be isolated and taken out. So we have to start thinking about what happens when you know, you'll turn on Fox News and CNN, there's still a show there, but all of us are taken out. Like VDare, Brimlow's VDare, they are not only you know, deplatforming him and canceling him, they're making lawsuits against or lawfare against somebody that it's like a couple hundred thousand a year um, man and wife team, VDare, Peter Brimlow and his wife. They're lawfaring them into poverty. And it's a test. It's like a small test, like a Trump test. Can we lawfare Peter Brimelow into crying uncle, you're broke, you lose your house. And nobody notices and nobody cares. I was really glad. Uh, I think Tucker had like a 10-minute interview with Peter Brimelow and his wife. But they're lawfaring ordinary people that were like just, what's their, their gripe is mass immigration. Let's talk about Mass immigration, demographic change for that. VDARE is attacked in the state of New York. And they use proxies. We see this. They use corporate proxies like social media platforms. They use state proxies or, or the, you know, in D.C., in Georgia, in New York. They use state proxies to go after the enemies of, of the regime. So if they're not only going after people at the top like Trump. They're going after, you know, small fry like Peter Brimelow to crush and destroy them. But it's only a test. If nobody resists, if they get away with it, if it works, it becomes the template for all of us. I don't disagree with that, Matt. And I think it's going to be wider than what you're saying. I think they're going to shut down platforms, not just restrict the movement of, of influencers. I think they're going to shut down Rumble. They're going to shut down like yeah. they did with Parler, right? When they went after Parler, they shut them off of AWS and they used the whole... This That's is a right. private company and they broke our terms of service, which they're if I don't know if everybody caught this, but over the last two months, every single online service has updated their terms of service, every single one. And over the past two weeks, you've seen multiple um, energy companies releasing information about please make sure that your personal information is updated in our system so we can alert you if there's an outage and we can send you notification. They're already expecting some kind of a a black swan event. They're prepping the waters with the messaging. And Absolutely. then on top of that, they use Parler as a test bed to go after anybody with a free speech platform. Like assume Gab will be taken down. Assume that Twitter will be taken down. Assume that um, StreamYard and some of the others and, and Substack will be taken down. I mean, that's the litany test is going to be that when that happens. And they'll do it too. They'll burn we, a million people, a hundred million have to people. Be we have to be prepared in advance to be isolated this way. We have to, we have to be thinking what happens. We can't, like Michael Yan always says, you know, if, if you're, if you are continually surprised and your paradigm is wrong, if, if you're going to be shocked when all of a sudden the plug is pulled on your social media, then you haven't prepared correctly. You have to be prepared that you wake up and every social media platform says, Sorry, you've um, violated terms of service and you can't you can barely email your closest friends. We have to realize that that is probably going to happen. They do not want influencers talking about another stolen election, for example. 
and my uh, and I'll let Colonel Johnson or Colonel Conrad chime in on this because well, I got guys on this. I've got a couple things. I was going to step back a second. Just I thought regarding the judgment, you know, the Kevin O'Leary CNN interview was really poignant in the way he described how investors are going to flee New York. And then today, Infowars had Robert Barnes on, and he was discussing the same thing, saying that that the uh, you know the weaponizing of the of this judicial system the way they're doing it against trump is going to make no one secure in their investments anywhere within the in you know he said it's even having impacts globally as far as global investment in the u.s not just new york and i think the two of those things together shows that it's you know their plans are not going to work and what matt said i missed part of it i had to go to the side but i think that what matt said is because we see the trucker strike because we see the points that Kevin O'Leary made, the deep state cabal, whatever you're going to call them, they're going to have to do something to get the initiative to try to go to do what Matt was talking about as far as shutting down communications and everything else. Um, because otherwise, I think their plans are going to unravel. Dave? Yeah, as they get more desperate, they're going to be they're going to um, be more blatant. And they'll use a false flag. I, I posted something, um, I, I post on Gab, Twitter, and Getter, just a parallel post. But it's by a guy um, named Pareto, and you know they're they're not they're they're in an end game where they will absolutely use the national security uh, threat against us. Oh, we're going to. Like like Wilson did in with um, alien, I wouldn't call it alien sedition, whatever it was in nineteen eighteen era. You know, you couldn't talk against the draft. You, know, you couldn't say conscription for this war is wrong. That was considered a national security threat. Go to prison. Well, they've done that with CISA too, right? So with CISA, they've they've rolled up the fact that anything related to elections or election deniers is considered a national security exactly. issue. So they've rolled it up to CISA, so CISA can fucking shut you off remotely and you don't even know what's going so on. So what kind of a free country are you in where you can't talk about stolen elections while they steal elections? Yeah, well, like... And that so ben, the Ben's article was really fascinating and, and just very important because he said the definition of democracy to them is the institutions. Yeah. Populism... When we say democracy, they're thinking populist. When they say democracy, they mean the institution. Well, so this and, is like the USSR. Just let me finish real quick. This sure. is like USSR. Their version of people's democracy is the Supreme Soviet and the Politburo. Not that every Russian got a valid vote. We're now moving into a Soviet-American era where... When the deep state says democracy, they mean Atlantic Council, you know, the uh, Institute for the Study of War. That's the democracy. Don't and upset them because then you're is, against democracy. Yeah, this is what they do, right? They, they, they change the language so that you're duped into thinking that they're talking about they're talking about the, the average, you know, citizen or the the. Um, they're talking about the uh, the country as a whole, which is not the case in any way, shape, or form. They they 
and again, this is what the this is what the left and the liberals have done for the last 20 years. They talk about this being a democracy. We're a constitutional republic. It bears saying that out loud so people understand that we are not a democracy. A true democracy means that basically the government is is propped up by the people. We're supposed to be run for the people, by the people, of the people. And they have, and again, it's the, just like the climate change. At first it was global warming. Now it's climate change. Now it's net, now it's net zero carbon. They soften the language to make it sound less threatening. And that's exactly what they've done. Colonel Conrad, I know you've got some thoughts on this. Well, your definition is right. I would simply add to it that democracy entails majority rule. And of course, the whole purpose of our system to include, uh, you know, the, the uh, electoral college is to prevent states like New York and California from running everything, right? And the greater point to this, in my mind, is the fact that here we are, we're probably each of us, you know, which you would categorize as baby boomers. We understand these things. And yet the generations behind us don't necessarily have that background because they've been subjected to all of the brainwashing liberal uh, professors and so on that have, have diminished, you know, civics and anything to do with what the founder's vision was let alone actually explaining why they did what they did. And it, one of the things that strikes me when we talk about f forward projections and most likely most dangerous courses of action, um, it's almost ironic to me that these, all these people have to do to win these globalists, oligarchs, et cetera, is, is be patient for say eight or 10 years. And uh, on, on balance, most of the boomers will be, pretty marginalized by age and, and fairly impotent in terms of political impact. And they could wait us out and win by default. Well, rather especially than taking when, risk they're, so when they're going to, when they're going to Californicate every state, you know, with, with two or 3 million illegals that are coming over saying Biden, Biden. It's bigger than that, Matt. I, they have, this is so about two years ago when I first started getting involved in Arizona politics, and getting to know the players, I was told by somebody very high up that there was a five-year plan to convert every single state and turn it blue through legislation, through voter fraud, through the machines, and through election laws. And they have they have damn near done it. And they've done it here in Arizona. Washington, California, and Oregon were the first test beds for that. In fact, the guy who set up and this goes all the way back to Christine Gregwire. This was before Gary Locke in Washington State. There was a contested match between um, Christine Gregwire and I can't remember her. I think it was Dino Rossi is who she was. She was um, against in Washington State. And the architect of the system up there now has moved down to California, and he's been in California for the last two election cycles. And look how that turned out. They have they have literally rolled this plan out across the U.S. and perfected it in the western states first and now they're institutionalizing it across the rest of the country with the help of republicans in the gop let me say that out loud with the help of the republicans in the gop the gop here under karen fan were completely complicit in making sure that there was not a complete audit done of either the machines clear canvassing of the the voting districts 
or any deep analysis of the operating system or the servers that controlled the Dominion system. She was the one that ran point. And, and remember that she signed a unilateral agreement with the Maricopa County Board of Supervisors through a third party, which was controlled and funded by who? The GLP to shut that down. So this has been a, a concerted, organized plan for the last five years to move every state to blue. And that includes running candidates that were actually liberals as GOP and selling them to the public as quote unquote saviors. Look at look at people like uh, like Vivek. Vivek to me is a rash because it, it, we've all talked about him, so I won't go a nauseum, but he's the perfect Manchurian candidate to be the vice president for Trump because you don't really know where his loyalties lie. And he comes across as a rogue, but he's anything but that. And that that whole system was put in place years ago, and now it's just being rolled out and enacted on. And unless the American public pulls their head out, I don't see a way for us to avoid civil conflict. Colonel Piper, it's good to see you. I appreciate you jumping on. I know this was a, probably a stretch for you, by the way. Yeah, thank you, gentlemen. I've been about 30 minutes late all day long. <laughs> Story of my life. So the next topic I want to talk through, uh, because this was one of those those conversations that the audience keeps bugging me on, and I sent it to you all earlier, um, is, let's see here. i got to get to my notes. Just bear with me. So one of the things that the audience keeps asking me that I never have a clear, you know, we never get to, I should say. That's the best way to say it. So we never get to it is let's talk about the way forward, right? But one of the things that, that the public wants to know is how do we get locally organized and how do we communicate should cell phones, et cetera, go down? And I, I'll just open that up um, and let you guys take a shot at that one because that's, that's the first question. Well, I'll just jump in and say Troop should be here because he's the guy that pushes the ham radio discussion when I've listened in the past and he knows infinitely more about that kind of thing than I do. But, uh, you know, Steve, a lot of this goes back to your line of sight sphere of influence locally, but then it begs the question, how do you bridge out once you've got your community, uh, at hand and some localized means there's got to be ways technologically to bridge out. And in fact, it's, it seems to me, you know, Matt made a very good point earlier. We're talking about breaking down each of these um, platforms, like be it Rumble or RSS or whomever. And I, I'm sitting there thinking, gosh, um, I can re recall doing counterinsurgency operations in in the western part of Iraq, and and thinking it's whack-a-mole. These these people come up with ways around damn near everything. Why and, and it occurred to me we need to start thinking like this. We need to think of of how to circumvent some of these almost predictably certain things that are going to happen, and have measures in place ahead of time. Yeah, I'm not the, I'm not the technical guy to you know, lead yeah, the charge on that. One one thing was different is we're starting from a point of I need to pay my mortgage, get my pension. And and Haji was thinking in terms of, you know, eternal life in, with seventy-two virgins, and didn't really care if all of his kids were blown up, to the the way that we do. So they were willing to just 
hoof it a hundred miles with a with a message, even if they didn't make it. And we're yeah. not, and we're far from that. But I, but I, that Dave brings up a good point because I had this discussion on Sunday about Noster, which is a decentralized platform, which is open source, and the the, the website called Minds, which is like Gab uses that as decentralized and there was an interview of the founder of mines and he talked about how you can't fully shut it down unless you turn the internet off completely you can't fully shut it down you can't fully remove images or or video because it's decentralized and it's set up like blockchain so that every node is decentralized has its own encryption so every file that's sent if you download the file to your to your node you own it it's on your node. You, 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 and, yeah, and, and Mike Mike Adams is think is um trying to start things like that that are distributed blockchain um, files, things like that. But how many people are going to use that when they're watching, you know, their business get boarded up and and you know kids taken away because they didn't approve the trans uh, you know the trans surgery? I mean. It, most people aren't going to are, are going to fold. I really feel that way. They, so, they, there will be a certain percentage, Matt, that does. And I, and I, I'll just, I'll just, uh, I'll just say this: there's always going to be a certain percentage that that go along with it. But there's going to be a certain percentage that realize, just like all of us do, that this is an existential crisis for our country. And it's, the questions for them is going to be: how far am I willing to go? It's it's as, as far as I need to go to protect my way of life, especially, and look, when you take somebody's kids away, they're not just going to roll over and die. They're, they're going to go through a period of grief and then they're going to get mad. And that's the part where I think they've grossly underestimated what they're doing. Cause there's a couple right now that's going through the Supreme court. I think that's going to metastasize into something way bigger and that's going to get violent way sooner. But I, I think one of the mechanisms to continue con communication outside of social media is going to be decentralization. Correct me if I'm wrong. Well, um, can I interject, Steve? I, I was, you know, I guess the thing I think we have to think about is what level of social function do we have to determine the type of communications we've got? You know, because you could go, if it's an EMP attack or, you know, you're down to yelling at people down the street, if it's a cyber attack, maybe you've got Baofeng radios and walkie-talkies to use locally and HF radios to use for longer distance. But if you're talking about things using the net, that's implying that there's some level of Internet still remaining. And so I guess I'm trying to say is like there's different levels that we have to think about where communications would take place of different levels of sophistication. Well, if we're talking about communicating just down the street, or in our neighborhood, or our, maybe our zip code, then I think that it's almost a, 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 a it's a logical, safe assumption that the food supply chain is going to break down at the same time. You, you're not going to have no communication, no cell phones, but all the trucking companies are just fine and delivering the food. So when we get to that point of, of diminished communication, I think we're going to have much greater problems when you know, when food isn't working uh, and supermarkets are looted. I agree. I, I, but I also think that, that the one thing that we're discounting is ingenuity. And I know, I know Colonel Piper's got some thoughts on this one, because this is, this is in your wheelhouse. Well, I, 
Have people been paying attention to what the truckers are saying about New York City? I yes. haven't, no. I have. Yeah, they're, they're already passing word out, do not deliver to New York City. No food. They're going to try and starve them out. And it won't take a lot to have serious repercussions. No. And disruption. Well, and we could go off on a tangent here. There was a good Zero Hedge article today that talked about that, Ralph, that talked exactly about the New York City thing. And it said that the guy, Chicago Ray, that had initially started the, the, the idea that he was now retracting his story. And people were saying that somebody had gotten to him to threaten him, basically. Yeah, there's a lesson in there where an idea has to be bigger than a person. That somebody right. might be associated initially with an idea. I remember the whole Tea Party thing. That was a Pete Santilli rant on, um, you know, a financial show saying what we need is a tea party. So Pete Santilli was not the leader of the tea party. He just put an idea out into an environment that was receptive for that idea. And yeah. the truckers might now be receptive, no matter who put it out or, or they, you know, if they got to him or he was mistaken or misunderstood, no matter who put out the idea of an embargo of New York, it's, a, it's now all around the trucking world. Yeah, that's true. And the nice thing is, is that if that picks up momentum, it can expand. And it may not come back on the guy who created the idea. But like you said, with the Tea Party, that idea can take seeds in many, many different places in many, many different ways. Now, somebody in the comments raised the question, uh, or I should say made the comment, uh, Washington, D.C. is the place they should really be isolating, right? Well, I think that's where Matt's going, Dave, is that I, I think it, it, Ral and, and Matt, and they're on the same page, right? It expands to D.C., then it expands to San Francisco, then it expands to Los Angeles. That's where I see this going. Agreed. Well, we can only right. hope, right? And it's, and, it's a, and it's a more difficult thing to attack than the Canadian truckers. You know, we... We have to learn. I mean, I, I've been using this analogy of the buffalo jump for a long time, saying, you know, you gotta be you gotta be the Indian, not the buffalo. So J six was a buffalo jump. And I mean, I, I was there, uh didn't go into capital, thank you know, thankfully. But um going to where it's their turf is going to always be a, a tactical mistake. It, it, I forget who was talking about this, not uh but he, he was, uh, gosh, I mix up my podcast I've seen in the last week. But you can't fight Goliath on his turf. I think it was Brett Weinstein talking to Alex Jones. You can't fight Goliath on Goliath's turf. you got to draw Goliath off of his turf. Like, you know, onto meme warfare on the internet. He's bad at that. But going to the Capitol, that's his turf. Sending the trucks into Ottawa to blockade Ottawa, that's their turf but not sending food into a city, that's the trucker's turf. You, yeah. can't, you can't arrest somebody for not accepting a load. Exactly. And that's and I what think, everybody has to pick up on and somehow get the message out. Oh, I think the message is... Support spreading. this whole operation. Just don't. 
but a lot yeah. of this gets down to logistic chains and and how those who those truckers work for right because those are the levers that are going to get pulled by the government yeah but the, so many well, of the truckers in this country are independents they, yeah. they work for they've got like 10 trucks working for some guy who's a, a buddy of theirs it's and, very distributed yes and and there's a shortage of truckers too there's a massive shortage of truckers because they can't get guys to pass the drug test to pass the the driving test etc there's there's a number of different issues with the, the with the supply chain right now that people aren't even aware of the other one is spare parts Right. So you have these massive trucking companies that can't draw people in because guys don't want to be on the road. They don't want to they don't want to be gone. They want to work from home. COVID forever changed the landscape of the work environment. I know I deal with it right now. Trying to hire people is extremely hard because everybody wants to work remote. They don't want to work in an office. And, and, you, and so you see these wrecks open for months and months and months. But the trucking industry was had ex hit exceptionally hard because they were still moving goods and services during COVID, but the ports were running lower and lower and lower. And it, there was a time where the ports were shut down. So a lot of independents went out of business and lost their trucks. And a lot of trucking companies folded at the same time too. So this is a perfect storm where the truckers that are independents can have a lot of impact on the supply chain in a very short period of time. And the, and the truckers have already felt like they're being targeted because for especially California, is mandating impossible impossible regulations. So people are truckers were already thinking in terms of I'm gonna to have to make a living not going into California because I can't magically, you know, make my uh my truck run on unobtainium. So they're just they're just already starting to discount the loss of business going to California because my truck won't be able to won't be allowed. And you know, and aside from trucks. Trucks are like a real obvious visible thing, but how many of the electricians that are working for contractors in, say, in New York City, how many of them live in New York City? They live in New Jersey and Pennsylvania, and they drive an hour and because they can't afford to live in New York City, right? And don't want to live in New York City. So the elevator in, in Manhattan that's glitching or one of the two elevators is out the guy they're depending on coming to fix it doesn't live in New York City. And if that guy in Pennsylvania or New Jersey or Connecticut says, screw you, I'm not gonna, I'm not, I'm just not gonna do that job. So there's a lot of friction that can be put against these cities because the tech support that they need to keep running, those people don't live there and don't like them and feel shat upon. So why, you know, it's okay. So I've got my house in, in New Jersey or Pennsylvania and, and I won't, I, I'm going to lose a little bit of income, but screw you. I'm not going into New York city to fix your elevator, fix it yeah. yourself. And that is a, that is a consistent theme that I've seen over the last two years, especially. And I want to add to that because I think there's another vector here that's starting to play out that people aren't even aware of. And that is, most of these blue cities, because this happened in Seattle, this is happening in New York, they've taxed the they've taxed um, business owners and building owners to the point where building owners are just walking away from their buildings because the tax tax assessments are so high and they're vacant anyway because a lot of the businesses have left because of the the theft and the looting and the crime and the homelessness. I mean, pick your flavor of dysfunction. 
they have literally cleaned out blue cities for the very simple fact that they've taxed, you know, icons in business, they've taxed them out. And if they didn't yeah, I, tax them out, I, the crimes drove them out. I just saw an excellent, excellent podcast. Um, Greg Hunter, USA Watch, interviewing Bill Holter. Yeah, um, I saw that too. Well, he's saying all of these all of these buildings, office buildings and apartment buildings that were just slammed during COVID, that it, it's assessed at $2 million and you just put another million into fixing it up. But the guy down the street just walked away. So, so you've got a building like your building that you're trying to, you know, now sell for three million, and down the block is an empty building, and there's going to be a terrible cascade effect because how are you going to sell your building now? You you're into this building for three million, and the guy down the street just walked away. Yeah, and you're still paying taxes higher. And than now there's homeless else. guys that, or and illegals living in that building and crapping on the sidewalk. So forget oh, yeah. about your investment, and this leads to a, a, a contagion. And that's also going on at the same time. And the reason why I bring it up is that you, you hear a lot of talk in these blue cities around, we'll just repurpose buildings. You can't just repurpose an office building. It doesn't work yeah. that way. Homeless it's shelter. A, it's an incredibly expensive process to convert a building from homeless to re, or from from a business and office to residential. You there's, I mean, just look at that. You have to put a bathroom pretty much every 25 feet. But the, but the model, to, the to model for homes. repurposing it isn't going to be to sell it to yuppies to rent. It's going to be to get put illegals in it that are all being paid by the government. So it's a, it's a complete net tax sink. It's not yeah. a profit maker. The Jefferson hotel isn't making money. The government's just pouring money into the Jefferson hotel. To house illegals. Can I piggyback on what you're saying, Matt? Um, one thing I'm I'm wondering is, are they intentionally doing all of this to make to collapse New York City to turn it into like the first 15 minute city, like a Great Reset kind of plan? Because if you think about it, if they get all the corporate investment and everything to run away, and then they do exactly what Matt just said, turn all the property into illegal alien housing where they're all funded with their you know, they're, uh, uh, what's the word um, that they're trying to come up with? Um, the constant, you know, free wage. Oh, they're, they're not that, they're not that yeah. smart. They're not that smart. Okay. They're, they are literally believing that they can make everything work on anti-gravity unobtainium because they believe it. You know, they, they believe that it's like, you know, uh, it's, it's like the, uh, what Wizard of Oz, you know, click your heels together and go home. They are not living in reality. No, they're divorced. Bolsheviks, Bolsheviks never do. Right. You know, when it fails, they'll blame enemies and, and try to set up gulags or gas chambers, but they but they're not grounded in reality. Their plan can't work. Right. And the people yeah. at the very top don't care because they just want to see it all burned down. And that that brings me to the next topic, which I think is 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 where we should shift to. And that is, I've I've seen now from the board of supervisors in in Pima County um, that the funding for the federal funding for a lot of these illegals runs out in March, and a lot of these shelters funded by the county was funded through federal dollars, 
when all that runs out, so does the shelters, so does the debit cards and everything else. And Matt, this was a scenario that you talked about probably three or four um, roundtables ago, but it bears discussion because the, the eve of this happening, the worst nightmare is upon us. Well, they have to, what they're, what they're going to do is turn this into a way to blame it on conservative white America. So when, when, the, de when the debit cards aren't reloaded, they're, they're right now they're mollifying millions of these illegals by giving them, you know, one or 2,000 a month. And, you know, it's, all, it's different in every state and every city. The, the 10,000 in New York is, is a kind of an outlier, I think. But they're all getting money, whether it's laundered through these fake church charities, church NGOs. But when, that, when those debit cards aren't reloaded, the message that they're going to get is that conservative white Americans hate you migrants. Biden loved you and gave you the money. You know, the, the Democrats, Biden, and they loved you and gave you money. But the evil, racist, white Republicans stopped you from having money. And they're not going to, you're, it took three years for 10 million of them to come in through the Darien Gap and other ways into America. They're not going to all leave in six months. It took three years to get in here with like a massive amount of logistical support. When their money all runs out, they're going to go nuts. Not all of them, but I mean, a lot of them are just going to be angry. They're going to yeah. be told by media, evil, white, conservative Republicans hate you and took away your money. Yeah. This is part of the slow burn, though. This is what I talked about a couple of uh, sessions ago when I said, uh, you know, high intensity items you can only maintain for a short window. So those things are going to be ramped up closer to the election. But this is one of those things that's going to be a long burn ahead of time, I think. You know, all of these burns are like coming in from like we're out in the middle of the prairie and we're watching fires and lightning strikes and volcanoes, you know, and EMP lasers. <laughs> There's all these fires, two, three counties over. And it's so sort of like which concentric ring of fire gets us first. Yeah. And they're but, all uh, leading to one huge bonfire. Well, I think so. I want to stay in the vein of most dangerous, most likely most dangerous enemy course of action, because I think that this is, I think this is going to be one of the catalysts. I think I, I go back to what I said, you know, months ago, that a lot of these things are going to happen all at the same time, because it looks like the economic side starting to happen. It looks like right. the logistics side starting to happen. It looks like, you know, they've timed it for for late March, early April, and it all looks like it's lining up for that. And I think those concentric circles are all burning within a few feet of each other and they're just slowly collapsing in and most Americans aren't even paying attention to it. Because well, for, in my mind, the most dangerous course of action is that they shut off the debit cards and you have a lot of these military age males from Africa, from South America and Central America that have never seen that kind of money in their hands at any time. And you have a catalyst for them to go absolutely ape shit. Yeah, assigning the blame will be a large part of this equation. Yeah, but that will off. That blame narrative off will be a big part to, to weaponize it. Can I put yeah. in one of uh, Matt's favorite lines that I've heard of many times on podcasts? Um, is 
the plan to ride the tiger is not the same as riding the tiger. And I feel like we're getting on the verge of where they're going to try to ride the tiger and it's all going to fall apart. Absolutely. Yeah. I well, think that, for the law. Colonel Conrad have a, uh, some views on the uh, law of unintended consequences. I was just going to say that's the law right. of unintended consequences. You, yes. You're going to start getting things that are spinning out of control uh, probably faster than some of those folks expect. But, uh, you know, you were talking about most likely and, and most dangerous courses of action. What I alluded to before um, is is probably the worst thing that could happen to us is nothing. If we, Matt was talking last week on a, or earlier this week, I don't recall, uh, on a podcast, uh, Coffee and a Mic, and he, he used the analogy of the frog in the pot. Well, if, if we're kept on constant simmer and we never reach threshold where we're triggered into action, and of course everyone is always asking the question, especially Steve, what's it going to take to generate real action and real dedication and people standing up. We don't, we don't know the answer to that yet. We're only going to know it when it happens. Yeah. And when, when they, you can't get food for your kids. Well, um, agreed, agreed. But even before you get to that, uh, you know, the bottom line becomes if they, if they choose to play the long game, I don't think they will. I'm just saying if they did, and they, they age us out, so to speak, our generation, um, then there won't be anyone left that knows what right looks like, what the well, founders that's, that's the, or anything. I think that if you, as and as far as you could say, there is a plan, the plan is to age you out, age us out. But the, the, the devil is in the details, and it's like somebody saying, you know, we've got this uh, mine full of nitroglycerin, and we only and we're going to get it to this temperature and only do this much damage so that like the part of the mine we want is collapsed but the rest of the mine will be fine they're never accurate enough on that dial and when they try to they try to do a blast radius i'm just going to throw the 10 meter grenade but they forget that there's all these sympathetic de detonations going off and the next thing you know they're all so I think this came up in coffee and Mike where we were talking about these guys who have plans to like, I'm, I'm going to, I have a place in uh, New Zealand and Patagonia and Kauai, you know, bunkers, five years worth of diesel generators, uh, Blackwater contractors guarding me. Like they can just calibrate the damage and then fly back into America and Europe on their Gulf streams and buy everything on the cheap, like, you know, the Rothschilds or something. But they don't, they, they have no way to calibrate the blast radius. The blast radius might be that, that their Blackwater guards block off their ventilators, you know, and, and take the Gulf Stream themselves. So there, it's, it's very hard to just define, you know, to really refine that, that uh, blast radius and it usually gets out of control and then all bets are off and we're all in the same, you know, in, in the same situation. And in fact, paradoxically, sometimes the people that you would expect to be the least prepared are the most prepared because for example, the, the uh, immigrants that just came from Somalia can drink out of a ditch and eat a rotten cat. 
and like burp and and be good for the next week. You know that. that and that just and, conjures up all kinds of weird shit that I don't want to think. Right, about. but I mean, I'm I'm just saying right. that. And and they don't have like a moral qualm. Oh, my wife, she just got killed. I don't care. You know, I'm yeah. not going to like go into depression over that. You know what I mean? That that. So some of the things that you think are are like great um, benefits for survival, just being able to like live in the woods, in a you know wrapped in a mud pile, for for weeks, that's not your average American, but it probably is your average African. You know, yeah. So so there's a lot, and I'm not saying that Africans inherit. I'm just saying, don't ex don't expect like the Harvard. Uh, you know, the Harvard Commons crowd, the, you know, the um, Ivy League uh, student council, they're not going to be survivors, even if they've got a really great high IQ. You know, yeah. and, and so it, where this all winds up, I guess it's a long-winded way of saying Bill Gates doesn't know, and the guy that just got here from Senegal doesn't know. None of us knows how it winds up. No. But it's probably and going to be in a in a bad way that none of us really expect. Well, that's the other thing too is it, it both Dave and probably all four of us could talk to this. Would you you could have the best laid plans to bug out somewhere, and and I had this this I've had this conversation multiple times. Let's say you have a you're you're in Oklahoma, and let's say that you have a, a bug out place that's in Kentucky. It might as well be on the face of the fucking moon. You're never getting there unless you have early warning and that things are going to go sideways. There's no way you're going to get there if things go upside down overnight. You, you'd be lucky to get out of your city. Well, not not by road, but no. they, there there are people with small planes that can land anywhere and, well, and people with boats that can go almost anywhere. That's but the, roads numbers, won't work. the roads aren't going to work. It's limited, yeah. I mean, it's look. I, I, I've owned planes, and and I can tell you that, you know, even even with even with one airplane with range, you got to get to the airplane, you got to get off the runway, you got to make sure it's fueled. And most most plane owners, especially if they have a hangar, the plane's fully fueled all the time. And part of that's because Avgas doesn't go bad, but at the same time, you got to get there, and you got to have the range to get where you're going. And if you put weight in the airplane, and, and what am I talking about? Fuck, Colonel Johnson can talk to you. You're the plane guy. Talk some plane shit. Um, I think the biggest problem with planes is that, you know, you've only, you can only go so far in a small airplane, you know, four or 500 miles. And then as soon as you land, you know, the problem with the plane also is you can't take, you know, what it's going to take to survive. It's not like you can, if you fall out of the sky somewhere, you know, just due to your airplane having a problem, you're going to suddenly be in a survival situation with minimal equipment. And so you're kind of, the plane thing's cool, but if it falls apart, then you're, you're screwed. I mean, you're yeah, going to end my, my, my only point was that that tiny, tiny subset, less than you know, one tenth of 1% that does have a bug out location, 400 miles from home. And yes. the planes, the planes in my field behind my house, and I'm going to land it on a road next to my bug out location. We're talking an infinitesimally small amount of people. No, I've thought about this a yes. lot, Matt. I've heard you talk about this. And the one thing I would say that I, I think there's going to emerge whenever something like this happens is there will be like a black market of people flying people around in light planes. 
to get people somewhere. Because if the government kind of establishes full martial law or some kind of scenario like that, granted, there's going to be people that have to move no matter what, and they will find a way. There, there even do- was in Eastern Europe in like, like the 70s and 80s, there were people that would fly you to West Germany or out, you know, out of East, out of Eastern Europe. Right. You had to like, because the, you, could, you could smuggle the, the letters and, you know, the messages and arrange the payment. And then you could literally fly across the um, iron curtain in a crop duster or whatever, land on a farm kinds- field and take them out. It happened, but it's big, yeah. it's high dollar. And there's all kinds of airplanes now too, that are available that aren't very detectable by radar. You know, you've got a lot of composite airplanes out there. I own a motor glider. I could fly that anywhere and turn the engine off 50 miles away and I could glide to land and no one ever know I came in, especially if I did it at night. So there's, I totally agree with what Matt's saying is the feasibility of moving people around. I just don't think it's going to be like, um, it's so tiny. Such a tiny, such a tiny amount of people. Yeah, it's a yeah. very small subset. And, and, and yeah, Bruce, you've got the the snake bliskin approach to get out of the area. I got it, but the, I think the bigger the bigger issue was the point you made originally, and that is a small plane is not going to carry anything other than people and maybe a small bag. So if you get screwed along the way, you really are screwed. And you know, I had a one seventy two, and it basically would carry three people and a garbage bag, a tiny garbage bag full of paper towels. And that was about it. I couldn't carry any weight whatsoever in it unless it was just me. And it was a 450 mile range max. And that's assuming I didn't have weight. So I, unless you have all that stuff prepositioned and you know, you could get there that, that whole, I'm going to, you know, go a thousand miles for a bug out. That's just not feasible. And the better way that I think we need to tell everybody and get the word out and it has to go so that people understand that this is this is for real. You've got to plan where you're going to go. You got to plan your route. You got to plan your secondary route. You got to plan your tertiary route. You have to plan if you're going to be moving families, so it's multiple cars, you're going to have to set up assembly areas and points where you can capture them. If something goes wrong, they have a hiccup with the car, they got a hiccup with gas, they got a hiccup with something. You can, you know where the rally point is, you can catch them there. Here's here's a means of communication. You need to make sure that they know if I send you a message that says, you know, oranges are on sale today, that means drop everything that you're doing and leave. You can always come back if the trigger wasn't right. But you have to get in front of the bow wave. You get trapped inside, and you're going to get trapped inside. People need to understand that there will be no turning back once it happens. And once it happens, you can't make the decision, well, I'm going to stay, and I'm going to watch. I'm going to look. We'll check the weather. We'll check the temperature. No. Leave. Yeah, but one of the, the, like, just quick pro tips is – Go to your local uh, office store or wherever these things are still sold. Paper maps used to be so ubiquitous, but they're almost obsolete now. But you can still get a Rand McNally state map or a map book. It's like, you know, 20 inches by 10 inches or 20 inches by 15 inches. 
with like uh, 80 or 100 pages. Used to do it has, for hunting. That has every map of every county down to the the timber the lumber trails. And something like that is such a force multiplier when the people without maps, when GPS isn't working or it's you know been degraded or spoofed or EMP'd or whatever, if you are only staying on the main state roads because you're afraid to go off, the people that have those kind of maps will have a huge advantage. I have one yeah. in every vehicle, Matt. I've had one in every yeah. vehicle for years. So yeah. So like that's like the I'm best twenty five or thirty bucks you can spend. Yeah. In I'm Colorado, they call it they call it the Colorado Topographical Atlas, and they have them for all the western states. And I always carry one because for exactly that purpose, if you get stuck on a freeway that's closed down, you can look on there and find like, hey, if I get on this little road to go to this train track, I can drive down this train track and get on that little road, and I can get off and then. I can get out of being stuck in an eight-hour traffic jam kind of situation. Yeah, yeah, and and just just to be able to tactically know what's ahead of you, compared to the ninety-nine percent that will be staying on main state routes, just out of fear of getting lost off the route. And that was a good point, Colonel Piper. That you know, and I'm glad that you brought that because I wanted to hit this too. Is that, um. It's not, and Troop would talk through this at, at, at nauseum because this is his specialty, but what all of us in the military learned playing a primary, a secondary, and tertiary routes in and out of everything. And I think, Matt, you guys backward planned from the from the operational point. You backward planned out of that when you did your planning versus planning your way in, then out, you planned your way out. And most people don't know how to do that. Most people don't even know what a strip map is. You know, a strip map is essentially you take a, a piece of paper and you you sketch out what your route's going to be into and out of wherever you're going. And it doesn't have to be super detailed as long as it makes sense to you and you have secondary tertiary routes that go along with that. But most people don't do that. And having a map book or, or like a Ram McNally map, which, by the way, you can get at any conic uh, was it kinko's fedex stations now they have maps and most of the uh yeah. staples office of the, office supply yeah. stores that's where you get them now so there there are avenues to get that of course you know there if you're not using the shit ferry you can get it from the shit ferry too but i highly recommend that you have some some maps or especially road maps in your vehicles at all times anything you want to add to that uh, colonel piper or colonel conrex i know you guys this is your domain yeah, the, the big thing that I've done is I've put those strip maps together and I've got them in everybody's car. So they don't even have to think about it. They know it's in the glove. It's ready to go. Punch out and go. But I, I would I would strongly recommend that from for 90% of people, bug in is going to be a better option than bug out because the the odds of being trapped at a bridge or some gridlock mayhem is too high. And no matter where you are bugging in, you have at least the ability to stockpile almost unlimited everything. If you're in a place where you just know I have to bug out, you shouldn't be living there now. You should have already left. I think the map thing is the specifically the terrain contoured map thing is a great idea. I used to do it just because uh, I hunt a lot and I like to be able to get in and out of a place and understand my surroundings. 
I think one side of this that uh, bears commentary is <laughs> uh, there's a physical fitness side to things as well because shit can happen. And, you know, Matt brought up a good point about getting stuck somewhere or something like that. It's not inconceivable that, uh, you know, bad things can happen and you could potentially need to go on a 20 kilometer road march somewhere. And how many people, I mean, we've all been in the military, but how many people out there uh, think in terms of physical fitness and, and, and shoe leather and how far they can pace it? Yeah, I think that it, at, you know, at my age, born in 1957, I think more and more in terms of bugging in. And yeah. even if you're in your 40s or 50s and pretty fit, you have to think about the weak links in your group. So sure. if, the, if your SUV breaks down, or you may be ready for a 20-mile rock march but as your kid, your wife, you know. So I'm, I'm, I'm just saying, if you, if you're not thinking in terms of bugging in, you pro, and you have to bug out, I think you should leave that place now. Move. Well, what did Sun yeah, Tzu say? He said, "Know your enemy, and know yourself." And and you're right, Matt. You got to know yourself. Yeah. And, and Joel Skolson talks about this too, right? He's He's got a book on this where he talks about safe areas versus unsafe areas and when to bug out. And and so this that that's a good, very, very good point. And it's one that, that I know Dave and I have talked about at nauseum, and that is the weakest link in your group. It should be your determining factor of whether you stay or go. And let's face it right now, if where you are is where you are. You, you don't be unless you're moving right now or you're willing to walk away from three and a half percent, you know, mortgage rate to an eight percent mortgage rate doesn't make a lot of sense for a lot of people to move right now. But, you know, if you can do it, do it. Now's the time to do it. Yeah. And I, I, I think that I'm, I'm going to the boat thing. You know, it's my my area. If people are saying, you know, I'm familiar with what a 30 or 40 foot RV is, 12 volt systems, alternators, inverters. That's just a boat with wheels. And the, the, the RVs that are boats with wheels are like the most likely to be trapped immediately item on the road. I mean, it's like the opposite end of a Jeep 4x4. Yeah, and they're massively yeah. fucking insecure. Massively, massively insecure. insecure and easy to cut off. And, and every local warlord wants to have it for his mobile command post. On the other hand... A houseboat or a sailboat or a trawl, you know, diesel trawler can, can can go anywhere from New England to Texas, not on roads, not being you know uh, channelized into into gridlocks. It's just a thought. I know it's not for everybody, but it's a big. It's a lot of water. It's a big ocean. Lots of bays, intercoastal waterway, inland waterways. A houseboat with a two-foot draft and a and a twelve-foot air draft has like half of the southeast available to it. Yeah, and and they don't scream money. They say like, it's not like uh, uh, what's his name the 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 um, antivirus guy McAfee in Belize. He tried to escape like on a sixty-foot sport fishing boat with his trophy girlfriend or whatever, made it like two islands and was arrested. A houseboat is the opposite. A houseboat is like white trash. Don't go near that guy. He's got no money. He's probably sick. You know, he's he's probably got things on that houseboat you don't even want to know about. 
stay away from him. But that houseboat can, you can't believe how far a houseboat can go between Texas and the Chesapeake Bay, hundreds of miles inland. Hey, hey, there's, there's, nobody. Some, there's some million dollar houseboats out there. Come on, man. Don't, oh, right. Don't, don't but I'm, but I'm, I'm talking about, I'm talking about your, your, your 30 to 35 foot houseboat. You can go into any marina and they're like, take it away. The guy, the guy left this boat here and we don't want it. Yeah. There's you take it. It's yours. Colonel Conrad, you were going to say something. I interrupted you. Yeah, Steve, I was just going to say you were kind enough to play the uh, the opening movie theme from one of the, the all-time great uh, Harold Ramis movies, Stripes. And of course, you know the one thing we're neglecting to mention is the the uh, the EM50 urban assault vehicle. Yes, <laughs> that's, that's what we really need to get. <laughs> I forgot to mention it, but I played it that night. I was thinking about it was wrong. GMC Motorhome, man, that was, that was priceless. <laughs> in that well, the the other envision that I that I just had was tooling through uh, New Mexico desert and running into uh, <laughs> the Breaking Bad crowd or something out there. You know, Absolutely. you ever watch that show? But I mean, Matt's points is because they're and they're not just the motorhomes are not just insecure from the fact that you're moving around. They're insecure from the fact that you they're easy to break into. I mean, you could break into Very a, easy. a screwdriver. It's not so, even exactly. It's, it's stupid how how easy it is to get into them. But if if you if you ever if anybody has ever driven from Florida up through the Carolina Georgia and the Carolinas, I ninety five takes you over thousands of square miles of marshland and riverine uh, environment, where the big boats are filtered out by fairly low bridges, like railroad bridges. But if you have an air draft under about 12 feet and a water draft two feet, you have areas that are like bigger than Delaware where there's not another human being anywhere. I mean, it's, it's when you drive across Georgia on I-95, you just say, wow, look at that. A house, you could have a hundred houseboats out there and nobody would even know it. I think I mean, if you're just, if you're east of the Missouri and the Mississippi, houseboats are an awesome option. Um, I, I I think that I was going to say about the RV, like I own an RV trailer, and I think the key advantage of an RV is that you can put it somewhere that's nearby, maybe an hour from where you live, that can be right. a place to escape to. Prepositioned, prepositioned. Yes, exactly. I With think it, fuel it, cast, it, you can bury drums of diesel, whatever. That's where I think they're really valuable. I agree exactly. That's what I was trying and, to say. And an, another approach also is to build the a, a roof for the RVs, just like a pole barn roof. And you can have property that's like unimproved, very cheap in several different directions so that you're, you're like the uh, Scud missile truck. You, know, you can just pick which one you think is going to be the best for the situation. And if you just make it those 50 miles, now you're, you know, you've got a, a snow load roof, you know, you've, you've got prepositioned fuel, food cache, and, but there's nothing there ordinarily for anybody to want to vandalize or steal because you just make a very nondescript pole barn roof. Yeah. And out West, out West, you can use public land that way. You know, there's tons of public land where if you kind of set it up ahead of time, a lot of people out west leave their campers the whole summer on BLM land in certain spots. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
So you don't even have to own land. Yeah, it would be a way. And you can also do a lot of good shooting that way too. <laughs> Unsupervised, no range master. That's true. It, but it like again, but I want to emphasize the point. This is not this is not a location you're gonna stay at for a long period of time because there's only so much shit you can take out there. Right. And there's only so much food and you gotta have a water source, right? We we beat that the water dragon to death every time we get on this these these well, rounds. Steve, yeah. Steve that's a good that's a good point you bring up what kind of time frame should people be thinking about under the, you know the current circumstances and what we think we're headed to what should people be expecting in terms of uh, all right I, I got to go to X uh, and I'm gonna have to stay there for a month two months four months what what are you thinking well so I, I look at it this way that um, you know, Bruce is right. You can you can preposition something on BLM land because there's tons of wide open desert here that that people never go to, and you can re reposition something out there. But like any situation like that, unless you're near a body of water, unless you have a stable food supply, you're only there for a temporary period of time, and then you have to have a plan to move from there or somewhere else and a way to get there, and that's not a it's not a long-term solution it's a short-term solution should things get untenable where you are and people need to consider that when they start thinking that way because you're not going to live through a winter in an rv it's just especially if you're in montana or you're in northern idaho or you're in north dakota you're not living in a fucking rv out there i mean 50 below zero you're going to freeze to death and that's right. as real as it gets so you have to plan for that contingency and and plan that, okay, this is a bug out point in lieu of destination X, whether that's family, friends, you have to think through that before you make that commitment because there's only so many supplies you can haul out there and leave out there. And then you have to have a contingency if that gets looted because there's a potential it could get looted no matter how far out it is. Or or the you get there and it's like a hundred person bandito meth lab. Mm. There, there's that's a it's and, and, and as they're not welcome that you. seems that is pretty funny and probably true yeah. it's chinese it's a chinese uh uh sabotage cell has found it but but yeah you know i think that for for 99 of people you've got to be thinking about bugging in and if you just say there is no way i can stay in my neighborhood when things break down you should be out of that neighborhood even if you've got to move, you know, severely downscale, I get it about the 3% mortgage to the 8% mortgage. I get it. That might mean you're living in an RV, but you're now in Florida. You know, you're not in Maryland. So, yeah, I mean, and that's, and that's the, something that most people don't consider, right? Because most people are tapped out right now with a three percent mortgage you got into million dollar homes i mean with the, the 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 way that they've artificially raised the price of housing in most areas the way that they've they've manipulated the mortgage rates and the current situation with the dollar most people are priced out of doing an alternate location right now unless they walk away from their house and move in with somebody that's in the country which or you know they just move out walk away from their house or rent an airbnb I mean, that's a doable thing too, right? There's there's more than one way to skin a cat. But again, it boils down to 
having enough resources where you're going to to be to make it sustainable and you're you're betting on and you're hoping that things are going to stabilize at some point you may be able to return but you know you can't plan on any of those contingencies yeah you know one of my one of my favorite movies is um uh two great actors one is a great guy and one's probably not the edge with anthony hopkins and alec baldwin and Anthony Hopkins makes the point after their plane crashes, you know, and they're fighting off the, the grizzly bears, that people die of shame. You know, what do people die of when they're like stranded in the boondocks like that? They die of shame. They're so embarrassed at being so stupid. They just it, it's such a de- what it's basically saying is it's a very demoralizing situation, and people just have a cascade of psychological destruction. Where they don't even they're they're far from their best because they're just so embarrassed and ashamed of how they you know went off the road and nobody knows where they are etc so the psychological preparation for this i think is really key that you that you have to steal yourself and your family that you might have to be you know purifying water through homemade charcoal filters that 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 no matter what it takes, you're going to survive. A lot of people that are first worlders that have never lived without climate control and clean water are going to basically go fetal position and perish because they will not be able to adapt. Not in the time that in the time frame could be very fast to from all the supermarkets are fine to we're starving. Could Steve, be a matter of the, weeks. I didn't mean to interrupt you, Matt. What, no, what's ahead. the book you always mention, Steve? Oh, Deep Survival by Lawrence Deep. Gonzalez. There you go. Yeah, that's that's a great book because he's you know he uh, he goes into detail about several um, you know survival situations and he he dives deep into the mental state that you have to be in. And one of the things that he just beats throughout the book is you people that survive deep survival situations all have the same thing in common. And that is that they accept the situation they're in. The people that die are the ones that want to piss and moan because they're in the situation and don't make any any effort to accept it and then try to figure out their next steps. They just bitch until they die. And that's who wrote that deep survival by who? Lawrence Gonzalez. I'll send you the link back. No worries. Okay. I got you, bud. Um, though that, but that brings me to another topic, and that is let's say we bug in. Let's say that people are organizing their local level. Uh, I spoke right. last night to a group that has a constitutional sheriff in their community that's working with them to build some kind of organization. And and really, the hard part here, and this is why I'm tapping this group, is how do they get? How do they organize locally? And and my recommendation to them was that you pick somebody from the local area that's the informal leader to lead the group and when things go sideways and then you have deputies around them that everybody accepts as deputies and have skills and then you you start to make plans with those folks as a core group and then work your way from there thoughts comments i hope you hope the county has you know similarly situated other counties i mean it that might work if you have a, you can knit together with other other areas. But if it's if you're just going to be an island, you know, in the midst of Mad Max, 
maybe it's not going to work so well. You know, the Israelis, I understand, used to have an interesting way of picking leaders for certain things. They would take a group of people, a variety of ranks in the military, and, and put them in like a gymnasium with some bleachers and just lock the doors. And they would look and see who started to organize, who started to look for things, who started to problem solve. And those leaders sort of naturally began to emerge. And you know, I'm always curious in a in a community situation and people get together, begin to talk. How do they determine you know, what are they looking at in terms of, of skill set and experience? Uh, you know, I do think people would look at folks with military experience or other, you know, civil defense or police experience or whatever. But I think that's something else people need to think about within their own community is what kind of what kind of um, rank structure may be needed or what type of cooperative can be established. Yeah, this is where the, the book, um, A Failure of Civility, and then the new version, which is called Civil Defense Manual Part 1 and 2, are, are really key because it's not just like a list of proper supplies like so many books are. It's about the 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 neighborhood psychological preparation. You know, you can't in good times right now, you can't go around like door to door wearing your khakis saying, you know, I'm a future militia Colonel Bracken and I'm recruiting, you know, you're just becoming off as a crackpot. So you, you, and you can't also just wait until like the power goes out and then like hope to, to lead your first meeting and emerge as the leader. You have to now in these times identify the future cadres and kind of, uh, get them on the same page that if the if stuff goes really sideways we're going to have to be the leaders and when the first community meeting is held where you literally tack things up on on uh trees or or calling out on you know by honking your horn for a meeting if there's 10 guys there that have already kind of thought about this they'll be able to lead the other 50 because nobody, the other 50 have no clue whatsoever. So getting getting your first half dozen people together as a cadre for the future neighborhood defense, that's something you've got to work on now. And that's it. So it's important to like lead like neighborhood trash pickup drives and, you know, neighborhood, uh, uh, you know, beauty programs for the, you know, the ditches that are all overgrown and just do that stuff so you're seen as like an, a neighborhood leader so that when things really go sideways and people are looking around for who's who's going to be in charge of this group, if, if you've already got five or six people, they step forward and they seem like they have a plan, you've got an organization. And can I say something to, Matt, to that, Matt? I've, I've seen those books and I've heard you say that before and I agree hundred percent. And like, I've been trying to do that in my own area. And, uh, you know, the biggest thing I've found that's successful, that's been successful for us is just, uh, going to church, you know, for people that I'm sure there's lots of people out there that don't go to church regularly. And if you don't have any tribe at all, I would start with the church. And, and the next thing I would do uh, along with that is what Matt's saying. Yes. Get I out. agree with that. hundred percent. Yeah. And then get out and meet people in your neighborhood. And I'm, I'm guilty as charged, you know, from what Matt said. I mean, I've been trying to meet lots of people where we live 
but we don't have anything like what you're suggesting, which I think is excellent, you know, to try to determine five or six but, guys. But even like walking, jogging, bicycling in the neighborhood. Right. I stop it. I stop at almost every garage sale. Every, I look at it like I'm a politician. I don't need any more junk in my garage, right? Perfect. Sometimes you find stuff, but what the hell? But when I go to a garage sale, I'm trying to meet neighbors. I'm trying to be seen and remembered as, you know, positively so that when all things considered equal and the, the hundred scared people are meeting to say the power went out, what are we going to do about it? They're going to remember you. Because, you know, you don't want to be in the situation where the three blue-haired, nose-ring, gauge-ears crowd, they have a little click and they start taking over. You've got to be there ahead of them. That's doom. If, the, if the, the woke crowd somehow gets control of that first neighborhood meeting, you're done. Now you've got to best a civil war with them. So you've got to already preempt them in that first leadership uh, fight. Not fight, but just you just are going to appear. You and your friends seem like you know what you're doing. You already have a plan. You have some handouts. And that, Matt, one, can I say something to what you're saying? Because I, yeah. I think that this might help people also is I think all of us would agree that there's so many different possible scenarios out there of situations that could happen. And, you know, like on one end, we've got like coronal mass ejection, Carrington event and EMPs and nuclear war. And on the other end, we've got, you know, um, pretend WMDs that are like, you know, like dirty bombs launched in New York or something that they use to try to create some kind of national chaos or anything in between like a cyber attack or whatever. And the one thing I would say to, to people that are trying to think about preparing is don't just think worst case. There's a lot of scenarios out there where even if you just started today, you could still start getting ahead of the power curve and being prepared for scenarios. Because, you know, I think the most likely scenarios are going to be somewhere in the middle and not, I think nuclear war and full out, all out EMP are probably less likely. All of them could be deadly, like Matt has pointed out in his new book coming out, Doomsday Reef. It's like, well, once the once the grocery stores empty in three days, things are going to get real. But it's a gradual line of collapse, it, and and it could be it could be a very slow it could be a very slow degradation to being Brazil or South Africa. Exactly. Yeah, or that's what I'm trying to say. It yeah. could be a Carrington event, and the lights just all go out at the same time. But in, for most of our neighborhoods, we're not going to be first hit and worst hit. So we will have the advantage of like looking at what's happening in New York. And if we have been dealing with our local sheriffs, and this is super important when people talk about this, it's super important that the sheriffs know they've got to get down to the supermarket and post outside of that supermarket and prevent looting. You know, when, when the example of what happens in Chicago and New York and L.A. is on television, the local de sheriff's deputies have to make it crystal clear that is not happening in my town. You know, that, that we are just not going to allow flash mob of looting. And they, and they have to be psychologically prepared that we are going to be in a new world of new rules of engagement 
where we will issue, you know, uh, what they used to call shoot to kill orders. You know, the, the, the riot act, we read the riot act. That means after this, if you advance, it's on you. Looters because will be shot. Right. Looters will be shot because we cannot allow our supermarket and our Home Depot to be looted because they are strategic assets for the sustenance of our community. We cannot allow them to be looted. And, and another and way. The, and, and, and the sheriffs have to be ready to like mass deputize people. Right. And uh, I was thinking this fits exactly with what you just said, Matt, is that if you could get. Um, like if you're in your church and I, I've talked about this at our church a little bit about trying to network churches in your area and getting, you know, most churches have a security team. I'm on the security team for ours. And it's like, I see those security teams for individual churches being like a setup that if you network all the churches together, you could actually come up with quite a few guys to help provide, you know, support to sheriffs to maintain law and order at yes. grocery stores. And and reaching out to them when you know you do when you do um, crisscross paths, whether it's at church or you know at a public event where the police are showing their dogs or whatever, making time with those people and feeling them out and trying to you know ally with them, even if it's not a a, a an overt conversation. Hey, when the balloon goes up, I hope you have a plan for protecting the supermarket. Just the fact that that would be great, but just the fact that they know there are guys there like, yeah, I, I am I'm part of my church's security team. Maybe you guys, maybe uh, you'd be interested in giving us some training. That cross training thing is a really good, is a, is a very effective tool. It's why we, you know, mobile training teams, things like that. Cross training is so effective for cross pollination of not only of ideas, but of, of uh, making contacts, you know, networking. Because, you know, you, you, those things like just, that's why cops all give you their business cards, right? It's got like their own number, their department number. Giving out those cards is a very powerful tool. So when, yeah, when, just... when crap goes sideways and it's like, hey, Sheriff, man, you know, we got your back. Yeah, just well, that's a really good point. Too. And I'll, I'll date myself on this. When we were preparing for the Y2K turnover and everybody thought that, all the software was going to go into the toilet. Our county did exactly that. We met with the emergency committee and we set up zones and teams and who was going to get deputized and who had, who had weapons, who could be part of the security teams. We set all that up for Y2K. It's not that hard to do. No, it's not. It just takes, it, it takes, it, by the way, I dropped out because my mic wasn't working. Um, it just takes engagement. You guys can hear me, right? Yeah, yeah. Check. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Starting to get paranoid there. But uh, yeah, that's a good point. It doesn't I, mean I, someone's other, not following you. The The other thing is that um, the, the, the garage sale thing's a good idea. I mean, those happen once a year in my neighborhood, but I walk around the neighborhood almost every day and I've figured out the times of day when people are out. And that's how I've met a lot of my neighbors. And there's there's still a lot I don't know. Yeah. But even if you have FaceTime with a quarter of your neighbors, that puts you ahead of 
everybody else who doesn't even know who's living next to them. Yeah, I agree with that. You don't have to be, you know, you don't have to have a complete infrastructure. You just have to have the best infrastructure at the start so that you and your best cadre friends can be the nucleus of the leadership. You'll never let go of that. You know, you just don't want the, the, you know, purple haired nose ring crowd taking over is they're out there too. And they're going to try and they're going to try and organize too. And it's the ineptitude will be apparent. And and I wanted to say this earlier. I didn't get a chance. Don't assume just because you're military, that people are going to follow you. You, you, there has to be some rapport there. There has to be some, some knowledge of who you are. And uh, that's, that's why walking around and meeting people is so important. So they know who you are. At least they have an idea of who you are and, it doesn't take long for a neighborhood to figure out who's it, who's there and most importantly, who's paying attention because I, I, and I'll use my neighborhood as an example, down the street, got an airline pilot. The first time I met the guy, the first thing he asked me was, you know, cause I had short hair. He goes prior service. I said, yeah. And then we figured out we were military. Same with two other guys in this neighborhood walked by their house. You know, they stopped and stopped me while I was, while I was walking had a short conversation with them. I know who all those guys are. But the, the interesting thing is all those guys are part of the homeowners association. Everybody in this neighborhood knows who I am. Everybody knows what I do for a living. And they all know that I'm a gun guy. Every single one, every single one of them, even people I don't know. I'll say I live here and they're like, oh, you're the gun guy. Like, how did you know that? But that's the, that's the power of walking around and meeting people and, and that engagement. And we, I used to say this in Iraq all the time to soldiers on the ground. The most powerful engagement you have is the one where you approach people and you're just a human. You're not a soldier. You're just a human being. That is the most important engagement you will have. But, your but without, time. but without like constantly wearing, you know, your uh, military t-shirt or ball cap. Yes. Or, or, you know, clicking your heels, so to speak. Yes. Military bearing, military bearing is always key. Because people naturally follow people that have military bearing. The guy who can't make eye contact, who's slouchy, you know, who, who's um, uh, hemming and hawing, and uh, compared to the guy that that shakes hands, looks you in the face, it, and it, it helps if you're taller, but it doesn't matter. It's it. it what's impa- important is is your military bearing, your shoulders, your your um, you know, your face, your eye contacts, not looking like a slob. I mean, I'm not saying everybody's got to like wear a suit all the time, but I'm just saying, you know, don't be walking around like you've barfed on that shirt three days ago. You're not, you know, and haven't shaved in a week. That's not going to be making you leadership potential in people's eyes. And that's what it's about is becoming leadership potential. (laughs) If nobody else is going to lead, we better be ready to. And, and I, so the, the question that I want to ask, and, and I wanted to ask this earlier, so I, I know I've taken this um, off topic, but um, I wanted to ask this Colonel Piper because he's he's um, he's closer to this than I am. Um, what do you think the likelihood of uh, any kind of a, a direct engagement with Russia is at this point? I'm just asking your opinion. Right now, they don't. They don't have the desire to go anywhere past where they are. 
They've achieved most of their main goals. They're not willing to throw their men into the meat grinder, but they're willing to let the Ukrainians jump into the meat grinder. But the other thing that they've also shown over the past six months is that if a unit's getting chewed up and they surrender, they just take them in and they move them quickly to the rear. You mean prisoners? What, what about NATO? Do you think NATO's got an appetite? NATO does not have an appetite. NATO doesn't have, what's the right word I'm looking for? It's not, it's not the appetite. It's not even the, they can't the even desire. sustain, they can't even sustain the present level. Exactly. So, so they, yeah. Yeah. They can't fund or feed uh, a reforger type exercise. So if they can't do that, they're not going to mobilize to go to war. And if they, they're and not if interested they, in going to war. And if they they're did, interested in getting their life back, they're interested in getting their countries back from the infiltration of African refugees. They're interested right. in getting their economies back on foot. Yeah, all, all of these, all these, it. all of these countries recognize that as soon as they are engaging directly against Russians, then their staging areas in third countries will be hit and they have no defense against like these hypersonics, none. none. So it's, well, my... it's, uh, talking about like, we're, we're going to do a desert storm kind of a buildup in Poland while we're actively engaging Russians, you know, with fighter versus fighter or tank versus tank. Those, those bases in Poland will be just obliterated. Well, I'm asking that question for a very specific reason. And that is, there's a there's a lot of fear mongering now about nuclear war because of a direct engagement. And I I wanted to ask somebody who's closer to it than I am because I have my opinion. But the the next question that goes along with that, when you take that off the table, what do you think the most likely event would be here? Do you think it would be here, some kind of a false flag? Do you think it would be some kind of a a staged nuclear event? What do you where do you think that would be? Given, you know, I think a mistake with Iran. I think, piece a, off the table. I, I think a mistake with Iran is more likely, where some Lindsey Graham crazy people fire missiles into Iran and then Iran activates cells in the USA. That's yeah, Iran is always more so than <laughs> Russian cells because there are more. Middle Eastern cells in the U.S. than there are Russian cells. I don't think the Rus that wouldn't be the Russians' go-to weapon of choice. I think that they, they, you know, the Russians have submarines and many other ways to to brush us back with close pitches at sea and and in the air. Whereas the Iranians, if we hit them with missiles, they're not only going to fire missiles at our bases in the Middle East; they're going to start attacking infrastructure inside the USA. Yeah, that's, that's their, where, that's that's their deterrent. Their deterrent is is their terror cells, and not terror, but anti counter infrastructure cells in right. the USA. That's correct. The counter infrastructure cells. That's what's over here. As a matter of historic fact or precedence, when Iran, and I, and part of the reason I always had an interest in Iran was because I had neighbors that were Iranian that had immigrated uh, back at this time, and uh, Iran. When, when the Shah was overthrown, they had agents for varying 
various parties. I'm talking about Iranian nationals that were abroad. And the Ayatollah sent out basically kill teams to eliminate all of the competition or anyone who would stand against him. And even even the Russians and Americans uh, had to sit back and say, whew, these guys are like setting a new standard for op tempo when it comes to wet work overseas. A lot of people were getting very upset about that. But my point is that Iran demonstrated very clearly that they were willing to go abroad and do whatever they thought was necessary. They had the audacity to do that. A lot of nations don't. And by the way, Steve, I think your comment prior was probably uh, based upon some things said by uh, Medvedev, if I recall. Uh, uh, no, I was actually I was actually basing it on on comments I got from the audience. That's where I was coming from. I oh, saw his he, comments. I didn't pay attention to it. Yeah, I was going to say that's this kind of uh, typical uh, commentary from him. He he seems to be the go-to guy for those things. By the way, uh, I think it was W. D. Marconi had said in the comments had asked me about uh, expounding upon my comment regarding suitcase nukes from last week. All I wanted to say was, at the height of the Cold War. Uh, the first strikes were not going to happen as a matter of submarine launch missiles or intercontinental ballistic missiles. Many of, of uh, there were a number of suitcase nukes that, that uh, had been in place in this country, and at least according to the information I had. And uh, that's what you would have seen happen first, I think. There would have been no yeah. warning. It just but would there are ignition. Maybe then, but they're expired. They have a very short yeah. shelf life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not. I'm not saying that now. Right. And I know we have better means of detection, both satellite-based and otherwise, uh, nest teams, etc. But it's not. It's, but it's not. But it's not impossible if you had uh, jihadists who were willing to sacrifice themselves. They would work bare hands on uranium to make a gun, a gun bomb, you know, out of a howitzer uh, barrel. Yeah, well, it, just it, like guys would w go into Chernobyl, they knew they were screwed. Well, it's like the old Fourth Protocol movie, right? I mean, it's, the scenario is they they infiltrate various components into the country and then have to assemble them here. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's impossible to cover everything. There's always a distinct possibility. Right, and even just a, a, a gun barrel atom bomb would work. Yeah, but, but by, there's, by a, the way, there's a lot of avenues of approach and a lot of attack vectors. You just I'm, need the, you just need the, the enough uh, physical material for, for critical mass. I, I the other thing I wanted to ask Colonel Piper about because he and I are both kind of in the same business is, what's your view on cyber attacks? At least in the next three to six months. Well, that's a good question because. I've been tracking the cyber attacks in, in central U.S., and there's a lot. Even my, I've been talking to my sheriff. My sheriff gets anywhere from 30 to 50 hits a day. So the real question is, is not, is the cyber attack going to happen, but when? They are prepping the battlefield across the board. And the worst part is, and, and Steve, you know this. Right. They're not going to do it directly from a known you, you know, URL uh, location point. They they work out as zombies. And they're probing out from those zombies from wherever they can get into. 
Well, and you also and, and you also have to assume that they have moles inside of our many of our biggest corporations and even defense contractors. Oh, absolutely, they, they do. Ready, I mean, ready, ready to set things to. Remember the Stuxnet thing where we um, infiltrated a, a program to make their centrifuges run unbalanced. Imagine well, what and, these. And it's and it's even simpler nowadays because all they need is you know a sixteen gig you know, thumb drive loaded up with the most nasty stuff in the world. And they, and they and just these, put it in the computer and they but, hit go and walk out the door. And these are guys that are already working at Raytheon, yes. Google, et cetera. Yes. yes, they're everywhere. Yeah, and I think where I'm going with this, and because this, we're coming up on closing comments here, where, where I'm going with this is, I think we're going to see multiple vectors. What I wanted to take off the plate for everybody is this notion that there's going to be this massive nuclear war. I just, I don't see it. I see a culmination of a lot of smaller attack vectors that, that wield bigger results. Like, you know, I'll go back to something that we talked about last week, and that is you don't need um, a really expensive missile to take out our infrastructure, especially think about the FAA. They took down the FAA for an entire day with one piece of malware on one server that controlled the whole system. Don't think for one minute that our enemies have not figured out where our weak points are and oh, where our center of gravity aviation is. is. Civil aviation is like the lowest low-hanging fruit. Absolutely. But my point is, my point is still there that they can go after SCADA systems with cyber, they can go after air traffic control systems and logistical hubs for railways and shut down the entire system with very little effort. That, to me, is a more likely scenario at at one one more more points than them trying to use some kind of nuclear weapon. I, I just there, there's too much collateral damage that goes along with that. So that's not the planning that I've been using. I've been using the planning of you know bioweapon cyber attacks logistical breakdown economic breakdown all at the same time and and i think that's a more likelier scenario because it's easier to pull off and it's harder to counter whereas you know nuclear weapons it's all bets are off for everybody and then there's the second and third order effects from the radiation and the and sure. you know the sickness etc cetera, etc cetera. so yeah, let's and, go ahead yeah steve you're you're going in the right direction because you have to think about it as a multi-domain convergence strike they're not just going to go after one thing. They're not going to go after one set of supply chain objects. They're not going to go after one set of communication things. They're going to go after a lot. And the whole point is not to blow everything up and destroy everything because they can't take over afterward. They want to take over afterward. So what are they going to do? They're going to create massive chaos to the best possible chance. The phone won't work. You can't get gas. There's no electricity going to your house, et cetera. Yeah. And that and the, convergence is what's going to cause the chaos. The chaos will cause the crazies to go insane. And once the supermarkets are looted, it can go into a situation that's almost unrecoverable. But yeah. the, these, these, all of these vectors at the same time are going to let us know that it's not like when we grew up remembering our history of the civil war. Well, that was a long time ago and it was bad if you were in the South or maybe Missouri, but not, it didn't the civil war. I mean, in Connecticut or Michigan, just, you lost some men. That's it. 
and World War II, World War One, it was the, the troops went over there. So we had a little bit of rationing. This is going to be the war. This 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 new war type of war will be a reminder that we are all living in a glass house, and we've just invited thousands of people in that hate us with bags of rocks. And that's that's a good point, Matt. I mean, one thing I was just thinking about is we're talking about how we're going to weather the storm of whatever the situation is and and our local lo- locality thing. But I think the thing we have to think about is that, and this has been occurring to me today, is that, you know, the left, the the liberals, whatever, the WEF, they, they're trying to organize conflict on their terms. And they want to stage these events to put all of us into chaos so that they can execute whatever plan they have, you know, their, uh, their next Soviet revolution or whatever in the United States. And the thing I'm thinking is we need to start going to the next level, which is, okay, how are we going to organize locally and everything? But we also got to be thinking, how are we going to reassert control of our country once this happens after we get past the initial stage? Because I'm sure that they have a plan how they're going to establish their control once this happens. Well, they're going to try and they're going to hope for people for complaint. You're right. That, And actually you just touched on the topic, the topic that I want to talk through next week, which is how do we reestablish control nationally and how do we thwart their, their um, attempts to do that? Cause you know, assume they're two to three years ahead of us in war gaming, right? They've, they've planned more than I'm just going to go hide in a deep hole until things level out, they have a plan for that. What they don't have, and and what I keep trying to beat into the the narrative is that they don't have the numbers. They can't control the whole fucking country, even with this imported army. I mean, let's face it: thirty million troops in this country would barely hold six cities. And it, and I'm basing that off the fact that we had two hundred fifty thousand boots on the ground in Iraq, and we could barely hold a city street. So yeah, this, this is, is a what, big country. And, and, and this all... and this reminds me why it's a joke when the Warhawks are trying to, you know, send a hundred billion more to, to launder through Ukraine based on the premise that if they're not stopped, that the, if the if Putin's not stopped before the Dnieper, he's going to go straight through Warsaw, Berlin and, and Paris. I mean, it's a joke. They, even if you it's, could do a kamikaze well, it, blitzkrieg, it, it you couldn't hold any of it. No, exactly. And it's not just that, but think about it. Would they even want to? Would they even want to hold Warsaw? They, they they've done that. They've been, there and, they've been there and Romania. done that. Would they want to try and control? No. They can't. Econo- yeah. they, would, they would rather do business with them economically. Yes. Yeah. yeah. There's no. And, and the worst it, part is, is that's what everybody else in Europe wants to do. They just want to do business. Right. Yeah. You're, you're right. Spot on. Um, we're, so, we're coming so the up question on... that I, I have for you, Steve, in preparation for next week is we need to build an I.O. campaign and influence our information operation campaign to go after the Karens, to go after the purple, you know, haired, multi-tattooed idiots so that we shut them down ahead of time with facts and numbers and figures. We need, that's what we need to figure out. We need to I think, I think take it's a step back and really work this. I think it's easier than that. You just draw them out and let them, let them, let them, you know, spin out of control 
and show everybody how fucking crazy they are and then they marginalize themselves if you want to go do you want to go hit them with fact for fact you just get drowned out by the noise the best way to just draw them out so everybody sees the crazy and they marginalize them i mean that's what we did for years with the, the neo-nazis and the and the anarchists and all the rest of those dipshits is we just drew them out so people saw that these guys are really fucking crazy and then they stopped paying attention to them and that's that's how this has to go because look you can't fight them with the mainstream media beating it down their throat. You can't fight it with the education system completely on board. All those systems have to collapse and you have to plant the seeds so these people spin out of control. And that's it, very easy to do. And it's not that's not a hard, hard sell, right? There's not a lot of influencing there. It's just let them show their true colors. And most of them are whack jobs anyway. So yeah. hey, we're coming up on seven o'clock. I want to start closing comments. So let's start with Let's start with you, uh, Colonel Johnson. Uh, shoot, put me on the spot. Um, That's the point of the exercise. Yes, sir. Um, I just think, well, I kind of said my my big thoughts, the last comment I had. But I, I, I think that, like uh, Matt has said, all of us have talked about, you know, the range of possibilities that we face. We, we have to be prepared as a country for, you know, multiple levels you know one thing that keeps reoccurring to me is the potential besides a cyber attack from whatever actors would be the potential of some kind of false flag uh wmd used in the u.s possibly to try to in, you know institute some kind of martial law or whatever but i think like you said steve that everything is pointing to something that they have to do to maintain control you know they don't want to lose total control and and they want to do something that allows them to establish and assert their authority and consolidate power and so i i think that like looking forward to net, next week is is for us to be thinking americans to be thinking how are we going to prevent this cabal from holding on to power through this kind of scenario um that would be where I'd be like, we need to put some brain power uh, to work. And that's all I got. Uh, Colonel Piper. Yeah, I concur. The, and I, I go back to, I firmly believe we have to have a counter plan. And we have to have multiple counter plans in place. And you started bringing it up. School system is one. We got to take this back when we have the opportunity. We've got to be able to meet everybody in our neighborhood. I think that's a good exercise. Everybody should be doing. I've got a couple of people here in my neighborhood that I that I know and I trust, but I I truly don't know everybody. Uh, I think everybody knows us because we're the only ones with greyhounds. But the other thing is is to get that get that. Communication going with your regional sheriff. Make sure you know who they are. Make sure you're supporting them. Make sure they know who you are. And make sure that they know you're an asset if they need you. I've actually done some work with mine trying to do some cyber work. So I've established a rapport. Everybody needs to do something to get on that knowledge and camaraderie ticket so that when the time comes we're ready over yeah i agree colonel conrad 
Well, in the words of Sun Tzu, know your enemy, know yourself, and in a thousand battles, you'll never know defeat. I think we, we talk a lot about the threat and the potential, um, and we've, I'm glad to see that we've begun switching the conversation more in the direction of knowing ourselves. Matt makes a good point for, for the majority of people. Um, you know, hunkering down at home is probably going to be the best thing, certainly logistically, but in many respects. But we've all got to make those assessments because, you know, I don't know about you gentlemen, we're, we're, we tend to be in that age group where you've got, you know, if your parents are still alive, they're, they're probably in their 80s and very vulnerable. So you've really got to uh, extend your thought process on, uh, you know, wargaming things out for various courses of action when bad things happen. What, what, what are you willing to do? What can you do? And, and uh, what, what's available in terms of taking care of really, you know, senior parents and so on, things like that that are ex extenu extenuating circumstances. So, you know, extend the planning. And uh, I think next week we should, just like you're talking about, Steve, uh, start looking towards how we build back and, and how we get through this. What's the other side look like? Because for a lot of people, uh, especially younger people, they haven't, they haven't really had that ingrained in them. They've had a completely different educational experience than, than the baby boomer generation. They don't necessarily know what right looks like. And that's why you see some of these, some of these polls taken where, Hey, uh, I'm okay with Marxism, you know, stupid things like that. They don't know the history. And I think, I think we need to talk through some of those things. I agree. Wholeheartedly agree. Matt. Yeah, I agree with all of that, you know, get to know your neighbors. I think that, a, a spiritual grounding is going to be extremely important because there's a lot of talk and it's natural about like, what does the other side look like? How do we get through this? But we have to also recognize the fact that we may not get through this, that this might be a multi-generational process. You know, this, we might only be getting into the beginning of a, of a, you know, 20 or 30 year struggle. We're, we're so used to, uh, we were raised in, one and two hour dramas where, you know, the detective wraps it all up in an hour. So that's sort of sets our expectation or, or, you know, World War II, 1939 or 41 to 45, it's done. Um, this might be more like a 30 years war or a hundred years war. It could be a dark ages. So we can't base everything on, we must win in a time frame where we see the other horizon. We have to have such a, a strong spiritual uh, grounding that even if we don't make it, we what our goal has to be to to build the torch and pass it to the next generation, kind of thing. More than how do how does our generation win it? It may it might be how do we prepare the next generation to continue the struggle? You know, to to value freedom, et cetera. I, I wholeheartedly agree with that, and uh, and I would say that it's it's set conditions so that you know victory is possible if it's not possible in our in our lifetimes, right? And it may not be in our lifetimes, and you know it, being prepared for that I think is is 
just as important as the concept of, of carrying the fight forward. And I mean, most people don't think in those terms. And I'm, I'm actually glad that um, this was brought up tonight, but that, and that's part of the reason why I say that, you know, lose the fear because there's no place to run to on this planet. Every, everywhere is going to be affected by this. And we're the last bastion for the rest of the world. We are. That's if it. we That's go, true. so does everybody else goes. So if you think you're going to go wait this one out with enough shit from the shit fairy, not going to happen. But I think on the other side of this, we will be a stronger country and we won't, we'll set conditions so this never happens again. At least that's what my gut's telling me. And I could be wrong, but my gut's never let me down. But I will say it's it's going to be a long fight. Not just not just the kinetic piece. I'm talking about the part where we reset our entire ethos as a country. We reset our, our moral compass as a country. We reset all of the systems that have been corrupted over time and re, you know, reinstitute all the institutions. That's going to take people that understand and live selfless service. There's not a hell of a lot of those people around. And it, it takes a lot of moral fortitude to not be corrupted by a system. Look at all the people that enter the system, think they're going to do damage from within and they get corrupted within a year. That's, we have to make sure this never happens again. And part of that is losing the fear, committing to the fight, and just moving out and taking things as they come. Don't don't make up a picture in your head about how it's going to go. It never goes that way. Never fucking goes that way. And throw the plan over your shoulder once the once it kicks off. Because once it kicks off, you're reacting. And you can try and plan. But if you have things in place, you're going to be reacting in the right place so you can get to a place to plan. And the last thing I'll say is go out and meet people. I, I keep saying it. I'll keep saying it. And... I've heard from a lot of people that tell me that they don't have anybody in their area that is like-minded. That's horseshit. You just haven't expanded your your reach yet. And part of that is is expanding what you do and where you go. Don't get stuck in the rut. Get, get stuck in the mentality of I'm going to do something that makes me uncomfortable every single day and guarantee you that when you do that, you'll be able to think on your feet. We'll be back. I'll be back Monday for the... The sit rep will be back next week, gentlemen. I really appreciate this. I can't tell you how much I enjoy these. But God damn, the time goes fast. It's amazing yeah. how fast this goes. <laughs> but I appreciate you guys cutting out and carving time to be here. I can't I can't tell you how much I think this is helping people, just having discussion like this. And I hope that uh, next week we can uh, we can expand this conversation even farther. But uh, oh, and by the way, last admin note here. Uh, we have a test run of t-shirts going right t-shirts and, and polos going right now as soon as those are uh, they, they got to send me the design back as soon as i approve the design though the first batch will be run and then we'll figure out how to get them on the website i know people have been asking me so look forward look forward to that and otherwise we'll see you guys next week god bless everyone one team one fight cool. Good night. Good night.